This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Please be aware that some of the content discussed may be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Reach Out, the podcast, where we are dedicated to ending sexual violence through advocacy, counseling, education, and more. This is the official podcast of Reach Counseling, located in Northeast Wisconsin. You will learn more about the services we provide and hear from members of our team, sexual assault survivors, and the people who support them. We are so glad you're joining us today and would love to connect with you further. You can find out more about us by going to reachcounseling.com. The interview portion of this episode was recorded in May of 2023. Please keep this in mind when dates and timelines are referenced. This week's episode features an interview with Kaylee Voss, child therapist at Reach Counseling. Kaylee shares her passion for the work she does. She also touches base on some of the struggles parents may have in getting their child the help they need after sexual abuse occurs. Here is episode seven. Thanks for being with me today. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came to be working at REACH, involved with REACH, and how long you've been here? Yeah, I've been here for almost four years now, so I will, will be at four years in July. I got this job right after I graduated with my master's degree. I actually interviewed here the day before I had my hooding ceremony and I I knew right away I was like this is my dream job this is what I want to do and then a few weeks after that I got the accepted offer and was good to go I had actually done my internship for my master's program with the sexual assault crisis center in Appleton okay and I knew as soon as I was working there that this was something that I was really passionate about and that being in sexual assault and sexual abuse, sexual awareness, all of that was something that I needed to do. And I remember my first kiddo that I had when I was working there. I think she was five years old. And there was just something about it that I will never forget her. And it it was just this feeling that I knew that that was something that I needed to do. I know that a lot of people are scared to work with kids and especially kids with sexual abuse because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And so being that person who can do that felt very important to me. Well, that could not have been said better. I feel like we could have put that on the billboard right there uh, as a testimonial. So obviously you're in your dream job, which is amazing. I mean, how many people can say that they're in their dream job post-graduation? Yeah, like like right right away. away. (laughs) So I feel like some people might be curious to know in working with kids, what are some of the misconceptions about kids in trauma therapy? Some people I've heard say like, oh, kids don't want to talk to counselors or they don't share any, they don't want to share or whatever. Is that true or not true? And obviously it depends on the kids. Yes. More often than not, I have kids who love coming to counseling and are really okay with it. I find that maybe I'm biased. I like to think that I make it a little bit easier for them to come in. We work our way up to talking about the trauma. And that's one thing that I always make sure to tell them right away is that like, I'm not just going to make you talk about the bad things that have happened to you. I want to build that relationship first. Mm. And we figure out those coping skills and feelings and those things first so that all of a sudden we are talking about the abuse and they're more okay with it. 
However, it's just like, hi, I'm Kaylee, and now tell me your deepest, darkest, like, wounds, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we work our way (laughs) up to those things, and that really helps. I think, too, that when they first come in, I really want to establish that relationship first. Usually the first time that I meet them, we spend the whole time just playing games. Mm -hmm. We're like, I'm like, okay, here's my office. Here's all the different things we can do. We've got a dollhouse. We've got toys. We can color. We can draw. I've got different board games, card games. Like, what is it that you like to do, and what can we do together to make this feel like you want to come here and want to do this. So do you ever get kids that come in and they're like, I want to play this game today. Like yes. they just know, and they know the options, they know what they want. Yep. <laughs> and they are waiting and ready for it. And then it's like, okay, well, we're going to do this a little bit first and then we'll get to your game. Yeah. So like they have this anticipation that yeah. like, okay, if I do these couple things, then yeah. we'll have the fun at the end, which is almost always how my sessions work. We do our check-ins, we do a little bit of the therapy and the work that we've got to do. And then the end is for playing games or having fun, like whatever it is that they want. Awesome. So I know you do this day in and day out, but for people that maybe have never been to therapy or they've never brought their kids to a counselor, what is a check-in? What does that look like? Typically a parent comes back or even just in the waiting room. How have things gone this week since we've seen each other? Is there any like major things that happen that I need to know about? Changes in your life, things that you want to talk about, good or bad? And we'll start with that stuff. I also always do a little survey in the beginning that asks them a bunch of questions to kind of help them remember things that might have happened. Because for kids, a week is a long time and they forget what's happened. happened. Yeah. Just in their everyday life. Yeah. In between. Yeah. So the check-in is not just for the child, but also for the parent. Yep. Okay. Like, how have things been? Oh, good. So, So do you have parents that are really receptive and then also parents that are a little more... More uninvolved. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. And w- again, that's a mix of them too. Like some of them are really good. Some of them are not. And I mean, with most kiddos who come with trauma, the parents usually have their own stuff too mm. that they are also working with, which affects how everything works when we're with them as well. Do you let the parent come back into the session? If the kid's like, no, I really want my mom to come with me. Is that something that you let happen or you encourage not to happen? I'll usually let them more in the beginning couple sessions Mm -hmm. and we try to work our way towards being able to be comfortable. If it's been like more than like four sessions and they're still wanting their parent back, we have that conversation about like, what is this about? Why do you want them to come back? I have some kids who are like, well, because then you talk to my mom and I get to play while you talk to mom. Ah, And we're like, oh, so that's what it is. Well, then mom's not coming back with you or whatever it is. But then there are the other ones who are like, but then you talk to mom and you don't talk to me and I get get to be avoidant of whatever is happening. Mm -hmm. Or I've had a couple younger ones who have like a lot of separation anxiety from like being away from their parent. And for those ones then parents can stay in a little bit longer and we kind of gradually work our way towards them being out in the waiting room. And sometimes the kiddo will help me walk them to the waiting room. We know exactly where they're going to sit. And I've done things like, okay, we're going to do like just five minutes without mom or dad or -hmm. whoever brought Mm -hmm. you with. And then if you need them, we'll go get them. And And this is why they're good at your job. (laughs) Usually half the time that five minutes is up and they have no idea that the time has passed and everything's great and all of a sudden we're like, we're done for the day. And they're like, what? (laughs) We're like, you you did it. You were away from your parents for 20 minutes. You did great. So, and this might, forgive me, this might sound like kind of an ignorant question, I guess, but I'm wondering, do you have a specific timeline that you work with kids for or I mean and I know every kid's unique but 
in order to get to people on the waiting list, like, do you have a kind of goal timeline for kids? Is it a year? It's usually about a year, I would say, is the average timeline for people that I've worked with. I do have some that have stayed on with me longer who have like more extensive trauma or things that are just going to continue for a long time. But the average kid sees me for about a year. Okay. Do you find that most kids are ready themselves to be done? Like, do you, do you feel that when it's kind of getting to that time or is it difficult for them or? They never want to be done. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And it's so, it's always so funny to me because, you know, when they do start out and they're kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm worried. I don't want to be here. I don't know what this is about. And then we get to that end and they're like, what do you mean we're done? I don't want to be done. I want to keep coming here. You're this nice person that I've gotten yeah. to know. And, and we get to play games yes. and we get to do this fun stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but the goal is to not come anymore. Yeah. Like that, that is how it works. Yeah. Is eventually we have to be done with this. Yeah. Do you ever then do check-ins with them as needed? Or is it just like, nope, we've completed this program. And if you want some kind of other counseling I would recommend these people or, you know, yep. how do you... It gets referred out then. So once okay. they're once they're not our client or patient anymore, then the contact has to stop for confidentiality, like ethics, legal things, and all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's really, you're very much so specific in that it's working through that sexual trauma mm-hmm. and then getting to that point where they don't need that regular counseling for that anymore. Yep. That's amazing. That's yep. Like, One thing that I think does help with them too is most kids I usually start out seeing weekly. Once I feel like they're progressing, we'll go down to every other week. And then before we terminate and stop seeing each other, we'll go down to monthly. Mm -hmm. And then that can be a good way to gauge how well they are actually doing when we go a month in between seeing each other. If things stayed great, yeah, we probably don't need to be seeing each other anymore. If all of a sudden this stuff popped back up, we'll go back to seeing each other like every other week or things like that. Gotcha. Do you do anything to celebrate the end of your time together, like a send-off or a graduation or something, or anything to celebrate that or a tradition that you have? I haven't, but I've thought about it. Like, I have, like, little, like, worksheets and things that I have ideas of what I want to do. I just haven't yet. Okay, So if there are any good ideas, that's something I would like to start doing. Okay. It's never like a sudden like, okay, we're all done. We right. work our way through that. Usually the <laughs> last day. I'm sorry for no. That. <laughs> Usually on the last day we at least do like, okay, today's like our game day. Like the whole session will oh, just be yeah. like play games, have fun. Yeah. We're not going to work through this timeline. Or yeah. Anything. Yeah. That's good. You said that you knew that this was your dream job. Was that because of your volunteering and internship? time or did you know going into college that this is something you wanted to do it had to be because of my internship i mean like going into the counseling program and field i knew that i wanted to do something that gave me purpose and that i was passionate about i know that i'm a very passionate person in a lot of different areas in my life so i wanted my work to be the same way and then getting into the sexual assault crisis center it it just clicked for me I knew I had been at a different place for my practicum before my internship and that was one where I knew that wasn't it so I moved on and was like okay let's see what else I can find to figure out what I want to do and as soon as I started there and started seeing those clients I was like this is it 
this you is what I want. That it yeah. was something you had a gift for and that yeah. you felt like you could do in the long term. Absolutely. Which is amazing because not everybody can work with people with trauma in the long term. Yeah. So speaking of that, long term, longevity, how do you practice self-care and avoid burnout? One thing that I like, so I actually don't live close I have at least a 30-minute drive home, ah, which everybody that I know is like, that's that's so far away. How can you do that? And I'm like, I actually love it because mm-hmm. that is my time to separate. Listen to whatever I want on the radio mm-hmm. or a podcast or just having that moment to myself so that when I get home and I'm immersed in chaos again with my family, <laughs> I, can, I can be there and present with all of that. So I think that's one thing that's always been super helpful. Yeah. It's just listening to those things. Like if I need a good cry, that's a great space for it. I can do it. <laughs> right. But having all of that. I also feel that the counseling team that we have here is so supportive and they feel like work besties, right? That I can just go to and we can talk about whatever is going on and never feel judged for anything that we have to say. That's a common thing I've been hearing from people I interview, which is really incredible to me. I mean, every person I've spoken to has talked about the culture here and how they love their teammates. And it's just, that's amazing to me. I feel like that's hard to find Mm -hmm. and how special about reach that that we have that here. Yeah. Speaking of family, would you mind sharing a little bit about, like, do you have kids? Has the work you've done here has it impacted how you choose to parent? Yeah, I have twin daughters. So they're about a year and a half old right now. And it's definitely impacted my work here because I had to go part-time after having them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of been a big thing. But I mean, they're still little yet, but the plans on how I'm going to parent them definitely come from my work and my history and things like that. So working with my husband too, I'm like explaining things to him of like, this is what I want to do and this is why. And thankfully he's like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> we're very much on the same, yes, we're and very much on the same page. such an awareness of things yeah. that the common person probably doesn't. Yes, because yeah. we already like, when we do baths and stuff, like we're already naming body parts. Mm-hmm. We're doing all those things. Mm-hmm. We talk about, I think there was a moment with my husband at one point where, he said to my daughter something about like, no, you need to finish what's on your plate before you get something else. And I was like, nope, nope, actually she doesn't. actually not. She doesn't. She can eat whatever she wants. And if she's full, she's full. And like diet culture type things like that, Mm -hmm. especially with like raising daughters, right? Mm -hmm. But all of these different things that as they grow up, I am hopeful will help me be a better parent. What's some advice that you can give to other parents that are maybe new parents and Like just from the get-go, like you were just talking about the food thing, but what else uh, using proper terminology for body parts? That's definitely a big one, that proper terminology. Choices is a really big thing that I teach a lot of parents. So kids, especially toddlers, they crave control. They Mm -hmm. want to be in control. You can tell with everything that they do, they want control. (laughs) And finding ways to do that because they can have a little bit of control. So finding that for them, giving them choices. Do you want this or do you want this? Do you want to put on these pajamas or these ones? And like just those small ways that like help them to feel Mm -hmm. like they have a little bit of that semblance of being controlled in their life. Giving them positive choices that are safe and good 
but they're still getting that say. That's yeah, really great. Absolutely. Mm. Like setting and sticking to boundaries would be another really big thing. Like consistency, however much kids like protest that they don't want like rules and structure in their life, they absolutely do and they need it. Yes. Because if they didn't have structure, they wouldn't even know what to do. And yes. it's it's so much more important than all of us think. And they actually really do need it. Yes. I agree with and that. And want it. I do struggle with giving in to boundaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it can be hard. Like, you know, letting it slide because they're having a rough day. Or what? You or know. you're and having a rough day. Puppy dog eyes. And then I like, the, my husband's always like, nope, don't, don't give in. <laughs> they yeah. know that I'm the... Sometimes, sometimes it's it's like, well, I'm just like stick, sick of fighting with you, so just do it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just survival mode. I, I can preach the advice all I want, but I'm here to say that I also <laughs> give in to these things. We try our best every day. So tell me a little bit about what is the... I feel like I've heard a lot about the why for you, why you do what you do, what you love about what you do. What makes it difficult? Like, What's the most challenging part of this job? knowing that this happens to kids Mm -hmm. and that it continues to happen no matter how much we're out there providing prevention in schools and working with these families and doing the work that we do and like all of these things that and to me it, it feels like common sense right like don't sexually abuse kids don't do these things and and understanding why this happens or at least I guess my lack of understanding of like how could people do this, right? Right. And so I find myself always wondering that. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that has helped with that too is our work with the sex offender treatment program mm-hmm. and working with them to kind of balance some of that out yeah. and help me with some of that. But it's hard to know that this happens to kids yes. and will likely continue happening. Like it doesn't seem like something that's ever going to go away. Right. What advice can you give to a parent out there that their child has recently disclosed sexual abuse to them and they're just feeling so much and trying to process so much as a parent and helping their child to process, but maybe like there's a parent out there that is like, well, they seem like they're fine. They told me, but they said they're fine. What advice would you give them? That is so common. Kids might think that they're fine. And a lot of the ones that I see do think that they're fine. And I talk with them about how later in life, they're going to understand what happened to them differently. And it's better to get the help for it now. And sometimes those ones can be like, oh, we only see each other for a couple months. And then maybe when they're older, they'll need to come back and reprocess these things. But it is important to get outside help just to get a different perspective on things. And kids don't fully understand what happened to them so they don't fully understand how it affects them or what it means and all of these different things there's so much more that I don't know that they truly know that they're fine right right so you would encourage them to connect with reach or someone you know closer to their area that does this do you notice a pattern in how the kids in the different age groups process the trauma. Like you kind of touched on this a little bit. The younger kids versus maybe like the more middle school age to the more high school age. Mm-hmm. Is there a kind of a pattern or a common theme to how they process in those different age groups? Or is it truly just completely different for every kid? 
I'd say completely different. Mm -hmm. I was almost going to say that the younger ones seem to not understand it as much and be easier to talk about it. But as I was about to say that, I remembered a few that were like, no, I absolutely don't want to talk about that. And like the shame that is around it and all of these different things. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's completely random how people handle the abuse happening to them. Yeah, because I know when I was talking to some of the prevention educators, they were saying they had noticed kind of a common theme with the younger kids. They were just a lot more open with disclosure and stuff. That, mm-hmm. that, that was something that kind of surprised them at first, that these younger like elementary kids would just come up and be like, oh, that happened to me. I think oh. a lot of that is the not really understanding that it's such a big deal. And the older you get, that you do start to really understand what it means that somebody sexually abused you. Mm-hmm. And so I think once you get higher into middle school age – that avoidance definitely does decrease in wanting to talk about it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So we live in this digital age. Mm-hmm. What is some advice you can give parents about just online safety and what they can do to help their kids process being online and having smartphones and all of these things? Because I imagine that comes up in your sessions, right? Like online usage or even like maybe grooming things that have happened or I mean, I'm not asking you to disclose anything specific, yeah. but I imagine at least impacts of those things come up and, and have affected the children that you counsel. Yeah. I mostly talk about like safety online in terms of how you don't know who you're really talking to. Like somebody can easily say that they're this age and this person. And do you really know that? Mm-hmm. So like helping them to question these things, I think would maybe be my advice. That's what I talked to my, my, my kids about. I, I actually, my oldest, who is not that old, <laughs> he wanted to enable the chat thing on one of the games that he plays. And I had to kind of sit down and say, like, I know you think that people that chat with you are other kids that are your age, but, like, do you understand that yeah. they, it could be a 55-year-old man who's a criminal and, like, wants to do damage to kids mm-hmm. saying he's you know, 10 or whatever, you know, and I just, that conversation, I know I'm going to have to have it over and over again. Yeah. Because he still has this innocence to him, which is great. And it's hard. Like for me, it's a fine line because I'm like, how do I share enough information to make him take it seriously? But also not like traumatized and like exposed too soon to... (laughs) Because you want him to stay innocent. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's always difficult because he gets really mad at me. My friends are on the chat. And uh, and I'm like, I know, but there's also people that are not your friends on the chat that say they're your friends or will be your friend. And And that's that holding that boundary, too, of that is just the rule that we have in our house to keep you safe. And I know that you don't understand it, but you don't need to understand it to follow it. Exactly. A rule is a rule, and rules are meant to keep you safe. They're not just arbitrary and there for no reason. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, though. It's tough when everybody else in this peer group, group, it seems, is not having that same Mm -hmm. filter, I guess, put in place by their parents. and Because even other parents don't quite understand the reason why we do these things, right? When we're in this work, we see this and we understand this. Yeah. And other parents out there don't oh yeah I can't tell you the amount of times I've been told I'm like too strict as a parent about that kind of stuff like well why don't you give your you know elementary school kid a a smartwatch or this or that and I'm like 
Because they don't need fun. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so they there's don't. more bad that can come out of that than good. And so. Yeah. And all the kids, like those young ages, like, well, all my friends have phones. Mm. Well, that's good for them. <laughs> well, so thank you so much for taking the time today. Do you have anything else that you would share with anybody who's listening that maybe is just considering connecting with reach or just anything else you'd like to share about the work that you do here i think just reach out it can be overwhelming to reach out and for parents to bring their kids into counseling too i think there's this fear for a lot of parents of being judged because their kids were sexually abused Mm -hmm. and that is absolutely not the case there is nothing that parents do to make this happen to their kids and you are not in the wrong unless you were the one who did it right 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 right. that's the person who's in the wrong bring your kid in get them the help that they need and deserve to help support them and give them the best chance at the future that they deserve i've often heard people say oh if a child is you know sexually molested or sexually abused they're going to become an offender themselves or like as a child they will have confusion and they'll they'll abuse other children or whatever are there statistics that support that kind of thought process or is that it could happen or it couldn't happen like i think the confusion comes that most people who do abuse kids were abused when they were kids right so like right. Th- that is a correlation and our sot people talked about that on their yes episodes. yes but there is no correlation between just because you've been abused, that does not mean you're going to do it when you're older. Right, right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. And I, <laughs> yeah. that's why I wanted to bring it up because I feel like it's kind of this, I, I feel like that's why some parents are afraid sometimes to get help for their kids or like to say anything because they're afraid that they're going to be labeled or looked mm-hmm. at differently because of what happened to them or create a fear around And if that is the fear, that's all the more reason to bring your kid in for therapy is because then like, that's the way to counteract it. Get some help now, give them the education, do these things so that they don't do that when they're older. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for all of the very intricate, hard work that you do every day because it is not easy and not everyone can do it. So I'm really thankful for you and the work you do. Thank you. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. You are not alone. Reach Counseling is here to help, and we're expanding our reach. Since 1976, we have offered our services throughout Winnebago County. We are pleased to now offer our services in Outagamie and Calumet counties as well. REACH Counseling is a sexual assault service provider for children and adults that offers culturally responsive outreach, prevention education, victim advocacy, trauma counseling, and sex offender treatment. As an anti-violence agency, we strive to heal lives and transform communities. Call our 24-7 helpline anytime at 920-722-8150. For more information, visit us at reachcounseling.com.